and you're listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We're a team of five badass women who will be our sommeliers to the marketing world. We work and whiteboard together at our nine to five every day in B2B marketing. We're a small, scrappy team that's picked up a few secret hacks along the way, and we want to share our crazy ideas with you. Let's call it an anything but ordinary guide to marketing and design. From Chardonnay to Rosé, we've got your marketing sips and design tips. Now that's worth raising a glass to you. So grab your favorite vino and join us. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. I have all the ladies here joining me today. We've got Paige, Katie, Sarah, Kelly, and myself, Charlotte. And we wanted to dive into trade shows today and talk about ways for you to stand out at your next event. Uh, After we talked about events in episodes one and two, we did get some questions about how we manage our own events. So just to give you a real quick overview, we host monthly webinars, we attend trade show events as vendors, we host our own annual conference, which is a pretty cool thing that we'll dive into later. Um, We put on happy hours, and we are looking at converting our current annual conference into a virtual one. So definitely more to come on that as we navigate through those waters. Our agenda today, we really want to dive into how we execute our trade shows and how we plan our own booth experiences. We'll share tips on how to design the perfect booth, in our opinion, what we think is the perfect booth, uh, how to draw people in and create engagement at your booth how to make it memorable, and also how to provide value and get sales conversations going. So how do we start the planning process and how do we get our tasks and steps lined up so that we can take action to actually make our booth happen? So it may not surprise you, but we start with a blank whiteboard. We throw everything at the wall, even if it seems wild and crazy, And oftentimes we start with a theme. So let's paint a picture of what this looks like. We're all in our marketing room and we're all gathered like in our very like open group of chairs around our painted whiteboard wall. And we're just in a really good like collaborative mindset. So whether for your team that's at the beginning of the day or the end of the day, like find a time when you might need a break from your computer and you just need to get in a group and all your good juices are flowing. The best thing I can say is that or every idea gets put on the whiteboard. We don't veto anything at that time. Everything goes on the whiteboard. Don't worry about thinking about how you're going to make it happen or think about all of the little details that would go into this just if you have an idea it goes on the whiteboard and then you can trim it down later and i think it's important to note that having the reason we pick a theme is that it really helps with cost savings and we're able to repurpose everything we're able to order swag in bulk and receive discounts and then have it relate back to that theme And as far as having a cohesive theme, it lends itself to creating a more experience in the booth. And when everything from the apparel to the swag align, people seem to take notice and they're more likely to stop by your booth and versus having like a hodgepodge of pens and stress balls and lanyards. If it all connects together under one theme, then people, it just seems to make a bigger impact as people are walking by because you really only have a couple of seconds to catch their attention. I know as far as our events, we've done a camping theme. So we had the cute buffalo plaid, and then we had a pirate theme and an outer space theme. And it's just a great way to get creative and allow you to run a little wild with your decor. And I wanted to add in to kind of talk both to Katie's point and Sarah's point there is 
we get to these crazy themes because you might be hearing like space theme and camping theme and we come to the conclusion and we settle on those ideas by throwing everything at the wall and it doesn't have to be something simple or standard that most people would um, maybe come up with I think there's a good opportunity for you to get really creative and say how can we tie this back to our brand and make it fun at the same time right and you might be thinking like how can i make a camping theme like work for me like i don't know you might have like a technology company and you're like my company has nothing to do with camping but like the theme was like show your clients more love so like it doesn't or like show your customers more love like it doesn't have to be like oh like i'm a tech company so i need to have like a techie theme like there's ways to come up with these fun themes for products that um might not have anything to do with it but it's just about like the fun experience at your booth yeah and we don't really have a large decor budget when it comes to executing these themes we often use pinterest which is our best friend uh amazon party city uh, we could go on. Um, we do a lot of custom stuff through Etsy. You can really kind of take your theme and bring it to life with these types of um, cheap solutions. And I think it's important to add that like the decor isn't everything. It's about how do people feel when they walk into the booth? How does design play into that? And how does it tie into everything that you're doing? Because when it's cohesive, you don't have to have a ton of things to the point of the decor budget. You don't have to buy a lot of things if it's all cohesive and fits together it all comes together and paints a picture itself even though the parts may be small so we kind of talk about design so i'll dive into at a trade show how do you want to bring people in and notice your booth so i think for the next little bit we'll talk about design logistics and some of the best advice i can give is to go big and keep it short you are gonna have people scanning. They're not gonna wanna stop and read a paragraph. They are gonna want to read it from five to 10 feet away and know exactly why they wanna come to your booth. You gotta think too, at these different trade shows, people don't necessarily want to be sucked into a booth and have you talk off their ear if it's not relatable to them. So you wanna be as far away as possible to read something, see if it relates to you and then dive in. I know I wear contacts and glasses and I still struggle to read some things that are super far away. So the bigger, the better for me. So I can see from a certain point if I want to actually go into that booth. Another thing too, is to put your content at eye level. Uh, you do not want to hide it at the bottom of some banner so that people don't see it. I know that we did a huge fail with one of our banners in the past where we created this cool design and then we put the logo in the bottom corner. No one could see it. It was hidden behind a six foot table, which we hate now. We never use really, but we we hit it and that was our mistake and we learned from that mistake. And now we put everything in the forefront so that it's at eye level. It's easy to read and people can see what your message is. It's important too that yes, you need to have your brand at eye level, but if your brand isn't super well known, you'll want to have like your tagline or the problem that you're solving so people can see what it is that you're providing and why they should stop at your booth along with your brand. Um, if your brand is super well known in your industry, you might not need to do that. Um, but for us breaking into some of our new markets, no one knew what our company was. So we had to rely more on that, that tagline. Katie, you bring up a really good point when thinking about our tagline and how does it, how does it present and show itself on our banners and at our booth? Um, 
we decided to take the approach of, if you think of the simple campaign that took place years ago with the Got Milk slogan, we took a very similar approach and said, Got X, and that refers to the problem that we solve. And it helps people qualify themselves as they walk by our booth and say, oh, yeah, I've, I've got that. How, how can you help me? And it actually changes the dialogue instead of you standing there waiting for people to come to you. It draws people in so that they start a conversation versus you having to go to them. Another thing to substitute uh, for paragraphs as well is to substitute stock imagery for vector graphics. We actually learned this because before we kind of grouped as a team, our marketing was pretty much using stock imagery and it really limited them to being able to have attendees see themselves because you want someone to be interested because they see themselves reflected. So we actually transitioned over to vector graphics because it made it more timeless. We were able to have more fun colors. We were able to make sure that everything was related and it wasn't necessarily going to be outdated in a couple years. And I think one of the things we've learned is to ditch white. White banners are boring and they also look dirty. When you end up putting them down, there's coffee gets spilled on them. You never know what else could happen. And it's great to have bold colors to kind of stand out from that sea of blue. Remember all the white, like the things that come back after conferences? We've had coffee stains. We've had, what was it? A highlighter exploded on one of our backdrops. So you just kind of have to be prepared for everything. And yeah, a white backdrop is sometimes... It, it doesn't really hide those imperfections. Yeah, and we could talk about all those shipping disasters. and We should do like a separate episode on like, I don't know, like complete fails. Like people love our pens, but the highlighters come off, like the highlighter caps come off all the time and explode. I'm pretty sure like we shipped chocolate one time in the summer and like that was a horrible experience because that just all but melted and I'm sure that was a huge mess to clean up so we'll have another episode about some of our our fails Katie I think I have a confession to make I dropped off one of our tablecloths that had gotten ruined in transport to the dry cleaners before COVID and never picked it up (laughs) I don't know if we're ever gonna get it back I have the ticket stub one day we'll get it who knows yeah well they know you by name it's just the account for Sarah yeah exactly Sarah that tablecloth is going to be so clean. When you started your confession, Sarah, I thought you were going to talk about the time you shipped cupcakes. Ugh, don't remind me. That was the worst. <laughs> Guys, tip, never ship cupcakes. If you have a food item you want to ship, you should always have it locally delivered and made. That is the pro tip for the day. More to come in episode I don't know what number, but we'll have to do it. (laughs) Clearly, I think we could fill an episode with shipping and logistics, kind of a nightmare. On a different tangent, I guess, we were talking about themes before and how do you kind of incorporate those into your design. You don't necessarily want to invest into a large backdrop banner with your theme. You might want to consider doing smaller things like posters, stickers, cardboard cutouts, and swag maybe to try and fill that theme and connect it to your booth. So that's always a good idea to not necessarily invest in the big things, but more focus on the small items you can customize. I think a really good item um, to mention, Paige, since you're talking about posters as well, is a lot of conference centers have um, a FedEx on site. 
So you can ship or you can send them your file and they'll print it right there so that you don't have to ship a poster. Make sure you're doing it ahead of time and make sure your instructions are clear because we have had those mishaps happen. But um, it can save you some shipping and additional work ahead of time if you have it produced on site. And you don't have to worry about it being shipped and broken or someone losing it. It's a lot easier to pick it up on site. And then if it's printed wrong, they can correct it on site. One of my favorite things that we've done so far that I felt made a huge difference was um, when we did the floor sticker of the beach, when we did the tropical theme. So you have to note that I don't think we were able to reuse the floor sticker. I think you have to commit to that knowing that you um, won't be able to reuse again and you have to be okay with that sunk cost. Um, but it made a huge difference and we just chose to do it at our biggest conference of the year. So it might not be something that you wanna pay for every single time you have a booth, but if there's like one specific event where you want, like, when you really want your theme to come together, um, I. I really loved that and I would highly recommend it. I completely forgot we did that. I'm sure that was a huge chore because I actually didn't attend that conference. I was like, good luck, guys. I was going to say, Charlotte, do you remember rolling around on the floor doing that? Because I do. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Yes. And we were like pretending to swim <laughs> on the beach sticker. It was so cool. Like, it always was kind of trippy when you're walking on it because I had like the reflective water pattern and like the beach sand and it was very cool. Yeah, remind me guys though, we found that on Amazon. We didn't actually even have to design that custom, right? Somewhere online. I did some Googling. I think it came from Australia, maybe. I think it came from some weird website in Australia. Yes, I think that's correct, Sarah. You can find anything when you Google it. So it was very cool. It did require you to put it roll it out in one panel after another so it did require some like coordination and lining it up so um definitely know if you, you need like an hour or two to pro- properly assemble i mean on a smaller scale we did do cute little like when we had our camping theme we had floor stickers with little paw prints that like led to the swag area or to different areas that we wanted people to visit in our booth and i think that was also successful and definitely a lot less work Yes, definitely utilizing all the space that you're given from floor to ceiling is super important. So if you're only given a 10 by 10 booth or sometimes even smaller than that, I've been given an eight by 10. I've only been given a like high top table before, but utilizing all the space and maybe if you're on a corner, like pushing your boundaries a little bit is super important. Like you you only have a little bit of time you're probably paying a lot of money to be there so don't be afraid to like have like some things up high your backdrop your pull-up banners and then everything down from like your eye level stuff at your table down to the floor we've been known to do some pretty interesting things so i think we have some more ideas to share with you later in the episode um and one other thing is to don't put your six foot table at the edge of your booth and use it as a barrier between you and the attendees That is the last way that you'll get people feeling welcome and invited into your booth. Keep it open. Um, Don't put seating in there. Make sure it's open and friendly and welcoming. Um, And putting that six foot table at the edge is the the worst way to do that. I feel like it's intimidating for people passing by and it definitely creates that barrier, like you said. And when you only have a 10 by 10 foot booth, a six foot table takes up a huge amount of real estate. So just we, our recommendation is to ditch the six foot table and find high tops or just go all together with just pull up banners or backdrops and have you guys standing in the open. 
the first thing we do is push that pull-up banner to the back of the booth and then we like put like our swag and like some stuff on it but or like we'll push it to the side um and i know that the event companies have some really cool lounge furniture and like sometimes you're like oh wow like that setup looks so sweet i want to get that it's usually really expensive and honestly like i cannot even point out a couple times where i've seen any attendees of events sitting in that like it, it looks cool but that i wouldn't advise to use it as i say we definitely have pushed the started pushing the table to the side and using it to display the swag and i think that's been a lot better use of it but we normally ditch the chairs because no one you shouldn't be sitting down on duty right like waiting for little people to come wander into your booth and talk to you but anyways, it brings me to one of the other things that lighting can make a dramatic impact. We've used candles and lanterns. And when I say candles, I mean battery operated things because you don't want to burn down the place or be responsible for a trade show going up in smoke and flames. And we've used like up lights and patio lights or galaxy lights and projections. There's a lot of cool stuff you can do just with lighting. Um, sometimes it's a little bit more probably for an event you're putting on yourself, but there are some cool things out there you should check into that can just bring a different aspect to your booth. I think one of the biggest things like that's an indicator of success when it comes to your booth design, maybe not necessarily your success results for the conference as a whole, but is it Instagram worthy? Like do attendees walk up and go, whoa, this is really cool or and take pictures or do other vendors? This is the big one. When salespeople from other vendors come over to your booth and go, this is really cool. Like I wish our marketing team set up a cool booth like this. Like that's when you know you've created something that's really neat and, um, and engaging. My favorite part is when they come and ask for your swag. Like that's the ultimate compliment is when they try to trade you their swag for your swag and you're kind of like, you can have mine, but I don't want yours because it's not that cool. <laughs> you're like, I don't want your stress ball. Get it out of here. So before we got too far into the episode, I did want to make sure that we touched on our booth picking strategy and picking out a location for your booth. Um, personally, I don't usually get to pick where I'm located at an event, but I know that Sarah usually has to pick something and it's usually a really high stress situation. I can speak to it a little bit. Um, I know typically we go for a corner booth because you can push your boundaries a little bit and maybe like spread one of your banners a little bit outside of your 10 by 10 or 10 by 20, whatever you have. And then um, being by the food. So many trade shows, especially if it's like a big one, will at least have like a snack table, like a drink set up, or some might even provide lunch. So anywhere by the food is always a good bet. But Sarah, I don't know if I'm forgetting anything. I feel like you're the professional booth picker. Um, do you have any other tips to add in? I think you've got it right, Katie. I'm always like sweating right before we go to pick our booth. Like sweat's pouring down me. It hits like 1237 and I'm like, oh shoot, I've only got a minute until I have to pick this booth. And then they leave like three minute gap before someone else is in there trying to snag it up. Um, but one of the main things I look for is some key players in the space. Typically, they'll have huge event spaces, like the 20 by 20 booths that are way out of our budget range. And or I'll go for ones that are partners with us, someone that we have a good relationship with and that we can kind of help funnel leads between each other. Typically, those big booths tend to have more money and they tend to draw more attention and people. And so it's easy to snag people as they walk by and try to get them to engage with whatever setup you've got going on. 
And then as Katie already alluded to, food is such a draw for people. So even if you're sitting by the food court and people are having their lunch, they're able to look around in the periphery and see what booths are around them. And that typically draws people in if you've got something really cool going on or if you've built up a line and you can see people waiting to interact with you. That always draws people in after they're done eating. Fun fact, the big 2020 by booth, so Sarah, usually the biggest and the most money put in, but usually not the coolest. Usually tend to be very bland, not very exciting, and not very engaging. Just my personal opinion. Polos and khaki people? Telling you, nothing but blue polos and khaki pants at these events. Got to get away from that. I think they spend a lot of their money on tech, like on projections and screens and demo environments and having headsets. And sometimes I think they're missing that people element and the ability to actually engage and have an authentic conversation with someone. And so even if you're small and scrappy like we are, I think you can make up a lot of ground there if you're just a real genuine person and you're actually curious about people and making a solid connection. Yeah, and trying to make an impact with a small space, like a 10 by 10 foot booth, which is what we typically are using at trade shows. We recommend doing almost a pre-show walkthrough kind of a way. We like to measure out how big our booth is and almost use everything that we're gonna put in it. We set up the backdrop, our pull-up banners, try and pull in a table. We pull in all these elements that we're trying to bring into the trade show and see if it'll fit, see if it looks good, if it's memorable, if it draws people in. We try and make sure that that's ready to go before we leave the actual office so that we're not shipping things unnecessarily and we're kind of making we're, we're preparing essentially for what we're going to, we're going to sell. Hey Paige, do you remember the time I made you be a stand-in bear? <laughs> <laughs> I do. We have a really good photo of that. I'll have to post that on our social. I think you guys will appreciate it. But we even try to measure out what our cutouts will look like um, just so that we have a good idea for scale and that we have a lot of varying height throughout the booth. So being the six foot person of the team, I was the bear because that was almost to scale. So I was essentially pretending to be a bear above her. You can try and picture that. Um, so yeah, we try and have fun with it, but we definitely try and prepare for the worst um, and the best case scenario. I actually want to take us back to the point when we were talking about the khakis, because I think it's really important to hit on the aspect of attire. A lot of times at conferences, I think people feel like they have to wear um, whether it's a polo or a t-shirt or something with a logo on it, um, and then like nice dress pants, and maybe you can get funky with the shoes if you feel really daring, but we kind of have a philosophy around if our booth has a theme, then we have to be part of the theme too. Um, so definitely think about your attire. We've worn plaid shirts with jeans as part of a camping theme. Um, unfortunately, our space theme hasn't fully come to life because of COVID. However, we were looking at metallic, silvery, like space jackets and just some really cool things. And if you decide to design your own T-shirts, um, a lot of times we've given away T-shirts and those go over really well because the T-shirts we're wearing are really well designed and are, aren't just plastered with our logo. They have cool sayings or phrases that are relevant to the market and are something that are would want to wear as well because it relates to them and it looks cool. Yeah, we're like essentially a walking marketing at the conference if we're kind of having these cool themes and uh, custom t-shirt. It's also a nice perk when you're wearing something comfortable because I know we are always like packing, unpacking, running around. 
going to FedEx last minute, like we're sweating, we're, we're working hard. So not, not being in a dress and heels is definitely, or khakis or polos, whatever, is definitely, it makes us stand out and it makes us comfortable. The flannel in August didn't lend itself to that. <laughs> <laughs> it worked for the rest of the conferences, but the August one got a little toasty. Conference areas have AC though, so it's fine. Yeah, I guess we didn't really think about that one. Uh, gosh, I can't imagine. I'm kind of glad I didn't have to go to that, that event. I just want to add on to like when we, what we wear at our conferences, if we have extras and we bring them back to the company, there is a fight over them. And I can't say that that would be the same if you're just bringing back a polo for somebody else to wear in the company. It's actually pretty funny too when like there's either like attendees or like other vendors that are like, hey, like, I really like the shirts you guys have on. Like, do you have any extras? I don't know. It's just, it's so funny that, like, someone would just want, like, these, I don't know, funny, like, baseball tees or something that, that we have to wear. We're, we're definitely more the people that are t-shirt, jeans, and tennis shoes at events. And, of course, it depends on your industry. Like, there are certain times when we do have to dress up. Most of the time, comfy is the way to go. Speaking of... Being comfy helps when you're putting up and putting together your booth. I know one of the things that saved us some money is we finally invested in some floor tiles instead of having to rent carpet from the exhibitor hall every time because it was costing us, I don't know, two to four hundred dollars each event. And once we bought these foam floor tiles, I think, A, they looked nicer and B, we could keep reusing them between our event. And then one of the other things when we were talking about Paige being the bear, it's also important to make sure your elements fit in your booth because we have had some mishaps where we either didn't space out how much room you need for a photo booth and how far away participants need to stand or the fact that maybe a blimp isn't allowed because it goes above the eight foot rule and you should have probably checked the regulations before you tried that. But I will say, don't let that discourage you from trying to push the boundaries because you never know when some of your guerrilla marketing tactics will stay in place, whether it's floor stickers that you kind of plant around or little signs that you plant around. I believe one time, Sarah, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. I think we had Max run around and put signs in like bathrooms and things like that. And he was like trying to avoid the conference staff. Like, don't <laughs> don't get kicked out like don't 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 do that but do push the envelope and see what you can do because it's always better to try something new and different and be told no than to like try to ask permission and see if they'll allow it the worst they can do is tell you to take something down so obviously you don't want to get in trouble and you don't want to push the limits too far because you don't want to get kicked out but there are ways to make your booth memorable um, that are within the confines of the rules and regulations of the conference. And I think one way to really capitalize on that is through swag. Um, we definitely have some really cool swag ideas that usually align with our themes. So I'll be the first to admit that being a marketer and picking swag is honestly super stressful. Um, everyone at your company will have a million ideas and getting everyone to agree on what type of swag is good swag is super, super hard. It's nearly impossible. So I think that's where we've really found it helpful to have themes because then that helps us stay focused. We're able to go to um, one of our providers that we order swag through and say, hey, this is a theme we have for this year. Can you send me some things that you have um, 
in your, or can you send me some options that go along with this theme? And it helps just keep us focused. And so we're not like all over the place. Can I plug our, one of our swag providers? Cause I feel like they do a really good job of going out and hunting for things that we give them suggestions for. If you are looking for a swag company, Woodward Movement is really helpful. We work with Desiree, shout out to Desiree. Um, she will, if you have ideas, she will go out and she will hunt them down. And she will try to find ways to um, align with your theme and your goals and what you're trying to accomplish. Do you guys know what swag means? Because I know I didn't. I actually Googled it. I just know in the office when Michael goes to the paper conference and he's like, swag, stuff we all get. (laughs) I had to Google to figure that out. I was like, oh, my God, mind blown. (laughs) Wait, stuff we all oh oh it spelled swag I didn't catch that that's interesting I when we when I first started we called it tchotchke I can't say what? it right I sound ridiculous tchotchke but tchotchke is also like and little it's spelled ornaments weird. you have around your house yeah it's like super Polish I don't know it looks very Polish like, yeah almost like knick-knacky kind of thing I don't know I like swag more stuff we all get I had no idea I'm like mind blown right now so tchotchkes I think is the opposite of what we try to do with our swag yeah, totally agree I was gonna say I guess swag is normally isn't spelled with an, like an acronym so I didn't know it stood for anything right Same. like normally it would be like s period w period a period g period okay Anyways, and in, and in all capitals, Sarah, like it would have to be. I will say when we're coming to picking out our swag, we go with our theme, but we also brainstorm the hell out of that too. Like it's not just the theme that we brainstorm. We have to brainstorm our swag and ideas with that. Cause I know we had all started trying to think about new ideas for swag and we thought wine openers were going to be really great. Cause it was going to be something small and simple that we could pass out because the thing about it if you're at a hotel and if you get a bottle of wine you don't typically have a wine opener with you but if you're flying wine openers are not really great things that TSA likes to see um, when you're flying you know with them so we had to kind of nix the wine opener idea right like so much thought has to go into it because you want to make sure it aligns with your audience like do you have an audience uh, where everyone is the same gender and the same age if so then that'll probably be a lot easier but if you're trying to align with people ranging from 18 to i don't know like like when you have like such like a broad audience it definitely makes it more difficult and then you want to make sure like what kelly said like does it travel well like can it go in a suitcase all these things are super important when considering swag we touched about it in our last episode for create and cultivate sometimes like you might just have to realize that something might just be a sunk cost like we've talked about like um I think like those straws that LaCroix did at Create and Cultivate where like it was used and then it got sticky and like LaCroix probably realized that wasn't something that people were going to take home, but it created a lot of buzz at the event. So just some things to consider. You should never underestimate where you're going to store the swag. We've always overlooked this in our booth and there's not a lot of room behind your actual backdrop for storage we pack as many boxes behind there as we can but we've also gotten in trouble from like the fire marshal for having a whole bunch of junk piled up (laughs) legitimately this has happened so I think this last time we got a little smarter and ordered bins that fit our theme and so we could have them out under the tables and they looked coordinated with the themes I think one of the things that Katie was saying with is it unisex? Socks have been our best friend simply because they fit most people. We've tried t-shirts in the past, 
but we've also had a nightmare where we had to figure out the sizing and people would request a small or a medium. And then we had multiple colors and sizes and it was a headache. We had multiple of us running around looking for different sizes and it just wasn't a fun experience. So I would definitely vote something that fits most people very well. Sarah, I'm going to add two things there that you were saying. Like, so for the socks, number one, we actually have done socks for a few different themes now. And I feel like since we have this community that we serve, like everybody kind of has their socks as like a badge of honor. Like people have shared them on LinkedIn, taking pictures of them wearing their socks. Like, oh yeah, I got the new pair of socks. What's next year's going to be? Like, it's been like a thing. So if you can actually create something that has a repeatable pattern I guess is the best way to, to describe it, that people can anticipate that you're going to do it and they're waiting for the next iteration of it. That's always a really cool way to go about it. And socks have definitely been that for us. The other piece I wanted to say, just to clarify for people listening, when you said storage that goes with the theme, I wanted to give an example of that where for our camping theme, we actually had these little like almost like laundry bins that looked like tree stumps. So it kind of fit in and it was patterned and they were probably for like a nursery or a kid's room or something. But again, Amazon was our friend. We found something that fit our theme and we were able to store things in it and make it useful. So definitely think outside the box and say, how can you store the things and not clutter your booth? Also, um, shipping and logistics and getting it there. I've had great success and not so great success with coffee mugs. So what I've learned is that I will probably only take them places that I'm driving. And luckily for me, um, a lot of our events are in a, a city that's close within driving distance and we, we don't end up shipping a lot there. I will be more apt to take things that are breakable if they're going in a car rather than shipping them. But I know that Sarah's shipped coffee mugs multiple times and she's had like great luck with it. It just like I had a scarring experience. So it's my preference now. But I mean, it might work for someone else. It probably depends on where you order them too. And just to point out too, when we do swag, we don't just slap our logo on it and call it a day. We actually kind of integrate it with the theme and make sure that it's fun because our company that we work for isn't a super big name like Nike or whatever. So people aren't gonna necessarily want that swag to be branded and in your face with just a logo. They want it to be incorporated and fun and kind of hidden almost like you're still promoting your brand but you're making it so that people will want to use it after the event and I think too some of the things that tend to have more longevity are the cool things that people look at and say oh that's neat like I want that or where did you get that because there is something to be said about having swag that people can carry around or people can see um I think on a previous podcast uh Katie had mentioned our flamingo cups for our smoothies where people were walking around with these awesome like bright pink flamingo cups and people were like whoa where did you get that and they were like well over there at that booth and then there was also bags we had some really cool tote bags because some conferences provide tote bags but they're not super cool or fun and they said hey let's flamingle and it went with our tropical theme and it had a really cool flamingo on them and it was pink and it was bright and people were just wondering where that came from. And they were able to say, oh, at the tropical booth over there. And people kind of flocked over and created a line, which then created demand and made people wonder what was going on. I said, I like what you did with flocked there with the flamingos. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. People love bags. I do not think we have ever left an event with 
bags, like with like extras. Like I think we have always like ran out, I don't know, like the first or second day. Like sometimes we might not even have any the last day. I was at an event where we weren't even officially giving out bags, but we had an extra one and a lady needed one because she didn't have anything to put all of her swag in from other booths. And so we gave her one that we had that had our name on it. And I'm not kidding you how many people came up to us afterwards asking for that bag because she had it and they loved it so much. So don't underestimate a bag. I feel like the um, reusable grocery bag, like eco-friendly trend that's happening right now is also playing into that because people know that they can use them like for different things. And I mean, I... I use them for that, so. Sorry, I was going to say the same thing, Katie. I use them in my groceries bag, so I probably save, like, thousands of plastic bags a year. The other thing about swag is not only do you want to carry it around, like the bags or their flamingo cups, but how can you make your attendees part of the swag experience? And we go, we do that a lot, and one of the things we've done is we've brought um, – I'm sorry, guys. I have a dog in the background. So we actually had Woodward Movement, uh, shout out to them again, come out and screen print personalized notebooks where attendees could pick their design. We gave them three options and they could screen print it on a notebook color of their choice. And that went over really, really well. I think it's the element of experience because if something is hands-on, customizable at your booth, people are more willing to come up to it versus things that are already pre-made, just like hand out. So we really try and execute our experience elements at our booth very intentionally. We've done screen printers, like we said, we've done baristas, we've done a smoothie bar, I could go on. I think one of the things that's my favorite about the barista and the smoothie bar is that we created a a custom menu. So we had coffee, drinks, or smoothies that related back to our theme. And that was just one more way to tie everything in and make it cohesive. So the industry that I work with is a little bit smaller. The events and trade shows are run a little bit differently where they might do like a strolling dinner or a strolling breakfast or something like that during the trade show hours. So I wanted to point out something about the barista. It was a great experience and we were actually in Las Vegas when we did it. So that was super, super fun. But since we were going to have like coffee drinks and things at our booths, we touched base with the person that was hosting the event or the organization that was hosting the event first, just to say like, hey, like, are you gonna be offering like free coffee during this time or tea during this time? Because we're planning on having a barista at our booth. So we just didn't want there to be like conflicting things. Since it's not a very big event, like we thought like, okay, well, if we're gonna have coffee then, um, or maybe we should pick something else if there's gonna be free coffee at the same time, or at least try to coordinate something. So just something to think about ahead of time to make sure that what you have at your booth um, isn't doubling down on something that's already happening. And on top of that, we have done a smoothie bar too, but I actually was Googling some ideas and something came up of another company who did a smoothie bar, but they actually had their attendees ride a bicycle to make the smoothie. So I was like, that was a really cool engaging experience and Instagrammable if you want. That kind of took it to the next level. So that's something too that you could kind of try and take and um, elevate after after you listen to our episode. Not to mention Paige, I feel like that seems very eco-friendly. So any companies out there that are eco-friendly, that seems like a good way to make that a part of your booth experience. But where I was gonna go with that is, I think the first time I realized we could do weird, funny, silly things at our booth was when we hired a pirate impersonator. So sometimes you just 
you have to go there. Like we had a really crazy director of growth, shout out to Kyle. And I mean, he pushed us and we had um, someone that was like a Johnny Depp impersonator and he really brought traffic to our booth. He went out there, he had people taking photos with him. He was bringing them back. Granted, not all of them were qualified prospects, so we had to work on that a little bit. But it was a very funny, engaging experience, and you can always have a little fun with it. And to be honest, when you have people at your booth, it doesn't matter if they're qualified. It always makes people drive to your booth if there's other people there. Groups are always a plus at trade shows. Well, and then Sarah didn't max on his own. So if you guys don't know on the sales side, but he, he heard we were having a camping theme. He went on his own and bought a costume off of Amazon and wore it at the conference. And it was just ridiculous and hilarious and loved it. They're like, who's in the bear costume? And of course, he's such a fun natured person that he fully is just like, yeah, of course I'm wearing a bear costume. Like, what else would I be doing here? So if you can make it fun and really get your people engaged and the 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 staff that are going to be at the conference bought into all of it, you can really make, I think, a really cool impact and create a cool experience for people. So if anyone has any questions about some of our experience elements that we've done before, or you just need a point in the right direction of where where and how to get started, um, shoot us a message. We're happy to help you and point you in the right direction for anything like that. We should probably dive into one of the bigger topics around value and delivering value to those who stop by your booth, because it's always great to have a really cool booth that engages people. But at the end of the day, you do have metrics to hit and you do have goals that you have to achieve. So how do you make that happen with a booth? And how does all this really cool design and experience tie into that? We like, we personally like to ask qualifying questions before diving into any type of elevator pitch. Like Kelly was saying earlier, you don't want to just go up to a booth and have somebody talk your ear off. That's not what you're looking to do when you attend a conference. So how do you make sure that the people that are going by are the right people to even hear your elevator pitch? And really, you shouldn't have an elevator pitch. It should be a conversation, at least in my opinion. And at the booth, we actually want to promote other events outside of the trade show. We often host happy hours or little um, get-togethers when we're at the event because it brings our prospects outside of that environment. So at the booth, we often promote these events and use custom coasters, which is kind of fun and useful. And it has the details of where we're going to be but it also connects with the idea of the theme. So that's something that could be kind of fun for your next event as well. Sure, so it's serving like more than one purpose. If you have elements that can serve more than one purpose, double duty, then I think that's great. Um, I wanted to point out about the qualifying questions. We mentioned it earlier, but when we were talking about the Got Milk tagline and when people can self-qualify themselves, it'll save you time and your attendees and people at your booth if they're able to self-qualify. Like if you are an energy drink company and you're trying to get people to drink your energy drinks maybe your thing or maybe your tagline could be like need more energy and then people would be like oh yeah I do need more energy so I'm gonna stop and talk to these people so you already know that it's something that they're interested in yeah the best salespeople often ask questions to understand the problem versus explaining what they do first off it always gets a lot better conversation if you ask the question first I don't know if this is proprietary or not but I guess I'll say it because it's not our stuff but 
Um, I attended a sales training one time and the activity was the student had to sell the instructor a banana and they didn't know what the need was. They had no idea. So you had these people go up to the instructor and they were like, hey, yeah, this banana offers a ton of potassium and do you like to work out and like it'll keep you going all day long. And But what they didn't know was that the instructor was role-playing as somebody who worked for a medical research company and what they really wanted the banana for was the peel and the vitamins within the peel that they could use to make some sort of vaccine or life-saving medication. So people jumped to the assumption that this was, oh, they're going to use this banana in a traditional way, but it really illustrated the importance of asking questions to your prospects so making sure that your salespeople at your booth are educated on what they should be asking these prospects when they come up so that they can tailor their message or their sales pitch, so to speak, to those people is really important because otherwise it's a turnoff and nobody wants to just hear them ramble about information that's not relevant to them. I think that reminds me of, Charlotte, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it in Crucial Conversations, that book where they talk about seeking to understand Like your first thing is to seek to understand. So you need to know what your prospect challenges are. And then that's how you tailor your pitch or what you're going to talk to them about and how you can help solve those challenges for them. And that's really the full sale there and what you're trying to do. Essentially, you're just trying to help people and solve the problems that they need to have solved. Well, and when you can tailor something to someone and have a genuine conversation with them and understand their needs It makes it easier for you to say like, you know what, actually we can't help you, but you know, we think we know some people who might be able to, and let me get you in touch with them. And it builds trust and trust is the foundation of all business. And the more you can build that, you start to build a community of people who can share ideas and continue to grow each other. And that's really what you're aiming to do as a marketer, because people like to buy from people they trust and people they like. But obviously a big piece of that is making sure that those who do or who do need your product or who are a good fit for your organization, you want to make sure that you get that contact info. And there's multiple ways to do that. Uh, A lot of conferences provide scanners and allow you to scan badges and do all that. Sometimes it's awkward to scan badges. I don't know if anyone else feels the same way, but it's like, oh, hey, we had a great conversation. Let me scan your badge. And it's just very weird. One way that um, I've seen salespeople do it is they have a conversation and they exchange business cards and then they jot notes about that interaction on the business card so that when you go to update it in your CRM, you have more details about the conversation and the questions that you ask them and you have their answers there versus it being a more sterile interaction where you ask to scan a badge. It just seems so much more personal when you do it that way. I feel like the badge scanning is just, it's not very personal and I don't feel like it's very memorable either. Like if you really had a meaningful conversation with someone, wouldn't you kind of like just remember them anyways? Like I feel like you should be able to recognize a name, but also the product that we sell at our events like we don't have thousands and thousands of customers like we have a pretty large product and if we leave an event with 10 leads then that's usually pretty good for us like we are not leaving events with thousands of leads and we understand that b2c is a little bit different and if you are b2c then you might be leaving events with thousands of leads and that's awesome and i'm totally happy for you so maybe the scanner is the way to go Um, but i definitely think that the more 
personal approach is a little bit more successful. And the important thing is once you have their contact information, don't spam them with sales calls and collateral. Make sure to lead with value first. Like we love to send people educational material and build that trust as Charlotte was talking about to help keep people coming back for more. You want to become that go-to resource for something that they can't find anywhere else. I think Charlotte and I are both reading The Infinite Game. And so, unfortunately, I do feel like some of the sales prospecting and lead follow-up is playing The Infinite Game. You don't want people to opt out instantly because you came on too strong. Like, you need to make sure that you be their friend, you're authentic, and that you start to build community with them and bring them into the fold. And then once you hook them, that's when you can start inserting small asks and promotions into your emails. I mean, if you just take a moment and think about some of your favorite brands, they're not always selling to you. They are trying to provide you with valuable content and that's what keeps you clicking and trying to solve a problem and coming back to them for more. And I couldn't agree more. That's what makes you memorable. So while today we focused more on um, how to stand out at your event and the experience elements and swag and things like that, we are going to do another episode on um, event strategy, which will include like pre-event emails, how to draw people to your booth before the event even starts, and um, the post-event emails and creating that engagement at your booth and your call to action. So we will have another episode more on booth strategy, um, but today we just just wanted to cover more about like how to look really cool and get people to <laughs> come up and talk to you. So with that, I think we always want to make sure you're walking away from this with some good key takeaways or next steps that you can take to implement something or at least take action on a on an idea that maybe you heard. So number one, we said we want you to walk away with things are easier when you have a cohesive theme. It saves you money, it saves you time, it allows you to do things on a broader scale, which is always more um, resource efficient and time efficient. So definitely think about, is there a way for you to incorporate a theme for your next event? And or is there a theme that you can use for an entire year and then re and do something different the next year? The second one was have an experience element to draw people in and create engagement. What's your next event coming up? Even if it's virtual, think about how you create an experience and something that people are in, are uh, excited to interact with and engage with. And our third item was be mindful of your space. Make sure you utilize everything you're given from floor to ceiling. Think of the entire conference center as your booth space and utilize that. Number four was clearly and concisely communicate your message and your value prop. Make sure that when people walk by, they know what you solve and how you can help them because that will draw them in versus you having to try to you know, sneakily pull people in from the walkway into your booth space. And last but not least, make sure you're adding and providing value. At the end of the day, you want to be helpful and resourceful and you want to build that relationship and build that trust and the community um, because that will ultimately help you get your results for the long term versus just picking up a couple leads at an event in the short term. And if you're looking for any top tips for planning our next trade show, we're going to post a link in our Instagram bio, so be sure to stay tuned. And with that, does anyone else have anything else to add before we close out this episode? I think you covered it all. All right. Nailed well, I got- it. Nailed it. Thanks for listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. For show notes, links, templates, and other resources, visit our Instagram page at Wine and Whiteboards podcast. 
And while you're there, follow us to get more hacks and occasional wine-themed humor. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would take a minute to leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you can continue listening to our marketing tips and design tips.